Welcome to Paradigm Swap. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author and musician. So far, we've talked about spiritual, a couple of spiritual paradigms. We've also talked about some self-improvement paradigms as well as some business paradigms. Today, we're going to talk about a natural paradigm, which I think is the most powerful one that I have come across so far in terms of, of the natural world as well as our relationship to it. That is the paradigm of permaculture design. Now, if you have never heard the term permaculture design, it was uh, the, this whole movement, you might say, this whole idea was founded by Bill Mollison and David Holmgren. And um, while the uh, concepts, uh, as they relate to design, were founded by these two, the principles of them are based in nature itself. And I call this a paradigm. It's, it's important to recognize the difference between a perspective and a paradigm. And, you know, those words are somewhat interchangeable, but something like the term organic as it, replies, uh, as it applies to food and so forth is an idea. It's a methodology. It's, a, it's an approach. Um, but it, I wouldn't call it a paradigm. I would call it maybe a perspective. It might fit the uh, category of a perspective, but a paradigm is a way of seeing the world. For example, when you see, you know, a rock, how does that relate to organic? I, it, it doesn't really, or a car, organic, other than that it's on the bad side, sort of, you might say. Whereas permaculture takes a very much deeper approach to uh, how we see the natural world around us. And I suspect, and this is why I use organic as an example, is that I think organic is a small leakage from this principle, which is kind of intuitively understood by the organic market, but it's not taken to the level that permaculture design itself does. Okay, so what is permaculture design? Permaculture, the word, is a combination of permanent and agriculture. And since its founding, that idea has been founded, um, it has been expanded to be a combination of permanent and culture. The idea being, how can we interact with the natural world in a sustainable way? And by sustainable, we don't mean gives you enough money or something like that. But um, it would not only do that, give you enough money, but it would also provide for you means that would regenerate and actually build the planet rather than than tear down its resources. You know, if you if you plant 100 acres of corn and then mow up all that corn to sell, that has a negative impact over time on the earth. Taking a permaculture approach, permaculture design approach, re-engineers that and tries to find a way to be able to produce the corn that you need to in a way that will not only be better for the earth, but will actually be better for humans and the economy as well. Okay, so at its essence, permaculture is a design science which is based in ethics. So 
the design science aspect. Think of design in terms of uh, engineering or planning or, you know, uh, interior design, graphic design. It's basically a planning out process. Design implies planning out and not just planning for one element like, oh, you know, in interior design, if you want red, if you want red to be a theme, you don't just say, okay, well, we'll just get everything red. That's not how it works. It's you, you decide on a particular hue of red to focus on, then you're going to want to look at what kinds of furniture work best with that, what other colors complement it, because if it's just solid red, 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 and there's nothing to see but red, that's not necessarily good interior design, because it draw, doesn't draw attention to the red, other than the fact that it's just blasting you the minute you walk in the room. And it looks like you didn't design it, you just threw it together as a bunch of red stuff. So design implies a laying out, a planning out, a mapping out with multiple functions. You're not just putting the couch here because it's red. You're putting the couch here because it complements this background and highlights its own redness and and you put it here also because that is a comfortable position so the sun shining in the window doesn't shine in your eyes while you're trying to read a book on the couch you see what i'm saying so permaculture design the idea of of agriculture being permanent you're trying to design a property a land whatever in such a way as to be able to provide some level of agriculture that will regenerate itself rather than having to just mow it up and then buy more seed next year and plant that, mow it up, buy more seed, you know. And this cycle uh, that, that tears down the earth, it's trying to plant perennial systems that may use annual plants, but in a, in a way that, that perhaps you're able to take seeds from the previous generation for the next generation and they will be mingled with other perennial crops and so forth so that they are living as if in the wild in such a way that because you go up in the mountains go up to your favorite camping spot go a little bit into the woods and look around you who is watering those plants no person is nature is watering it yeah but if you were to try to garden the way that you traditionally garden or that society traditionally gardens and just expect the uh, the earth to rain what down what it needs on the planet, your garden's just going to die and it's going to get taken over by weeds. However, if you ignore your yard and just let whatever grow, grow based on how much rain you get and so forth, what will you get? A bunch of weeds. Now, why do those weeds grow when they're not getting watered every day by humans? It's simply because they're working with nature, not against it, like you probably already are if you don't practice permaculture design principles. Now, I, we don't have time for today's purposes to go into all of the, the principles of permaculture, but we need to go through some. Okay, the first is the ethics, because without the ethics, it just falls into chaos. Because you have the environmentalists of the 80s who are saying, of the 1980s, who were saying that humans are a cancer on the earth. It'd be better for the earth if people were wiped off it. And then you've got the uh, green movement of 
even previous generations that a lot created more plants that were being that were causing massive overhaul restructuring that was destroying wildernesses and and forests and and our entire global you know uh, forestry system in a lot of ways anyway and and so it's you know you gotta you gotta look at this ethically okay if you're trying to rebuild the earth so as to feed humans well and by feed i mean eat and provide wood for houses um and for cooking and you know uh, uh straw and different things for animals as well as uh, as well as fabrics and, and and just everything that we need as a society developed in nature in a natural way that does not hurt the earth and that it's able to replenish itself okay the three ethics the three major ethics of permaculture are earth care which kind of makes sense people care and then Number three, return of surplus, or as some people say, um, some people say fair share, but that kind of makes it sound like, you know, you produce some and then you give away the leftovers uh, or the, or even give away, you know, a portion of everything that you get regardless. And that's not necessarily, that's kind of in the spirit of what we're talking about, but it's, it's not, that's not necessarily how it translates, but basically, um, care of the earth care of people and return of surplus now care of the earth means if what you're planning to do if what you're designing over your property over your land whatever hurts the earth or doesn't care for it doesn't provide for its needs meaning all of nature meaning that you know whether you believe in the global warming movements or if you believe in you know, that this is just some cycle and, and so forth. I think we all agree we have to take care of the planet in some way or other. And if we're not taking care of the planet, we're not going to have it take care of us very well. And so I think we can agree we need to take care of the planet and nature and so forth. This, this part, you know, if, if you're not taking care of the plants that you eat, they're not going to take care of you. Okay, so care of the earth Number two, care of people. And however you spin it, if you're not taking care of people, you're not doing much service even to the earth. Because if, if you were to even wipe the planet free of all people right now, what would happen is some areas would continue on and do fine, you know, the rainforests and whatever. And then there'd be areas that would just fall into devastation because we've destroyed them. We've just ripped them to shreds. And uh, and it's up to people to bring that back. And we have the power to do it. And before I go on with any other uh, political aspects of this, let me say one of the things that stands out to me as both unique to permaculture, from what I can see, as well as, as kind of bypasses all the politics around what people say about environmentalism and so forth. And it's simply this. Most of the solutions to our environmental problems, be they pollution, be they you know global uh, 
warming or weirding or whatever, um, be it, you know, polar ice cap issues, all that stuff, okay, of oxygen, CO2 in the atmosphere, all that stuff. Most of the solutions are trying to mitigate the problem or make the problem not as bad, bad as it is or reduce the amount of destruction that we're causing, okay? It's basically like saying instead of killing people, let's just, you know, maim them, not, not murder them, but maim them. And then we're like, well, can't we get it back to where we're just maybe hitting them so it hurts but doesn't actually injure them? You know what I'm saying? With with the earth, you know, having a more uh, a more sustainable car, for example, that is it has fewer emissions and so forth like that. It feels like we're doing less harm with those things. And yet we're hitting people with sticks. Not hard enough to injure them, just enough for it to hurt a little bit. You see what I'm saying? Most of the solutions out there that I have seen around, which is one of the reasons I think the environmental movement is failing so badly, is because the focus is, what can we do to stop the bad things we're doing? And nobody knows. And so they're like, well, we could do less of this or reduce this amount by doing this. When in reality, there is a way, instead of hurting people, we can be healing people, actually providing for them for their needs and their and protecting them and so forth. And that I see as as the uh, the great possibilities of permaculture design. Okay, so permaculture design takes it, it steps away a little bit, anyway, steps aside from, the murdering, if you will, and says, you know what, let's not even do that. Let's do something that is healing. And so basically what it is, is replenishing the earth with the life that it needs to sustain itself. That's what I see it as in total. And that requires a lot of you know, study and understanding of ecology and, and, and earth science and so forth. But what it comes down to on the uh, just basic, simple way, let's plant more trees that take care of people and animals. If we plant more trees that take care of people and uh, better, then we can do all kinds of good. Because what we see from earth science and environmental science is that the best machine that we yet have to clean up the emissions, to do all this stuff, is a tree. Now, that's difficult because if we just fill our yards with trees, then, you know, you don't have room for your carport and all this stuff. And, and, it, and it just becomes this big forest, which would be beautiful but very difficult because now how do we feed ourselves because we've just filled all our fields with trees. You know, let's just say poplars because they're fast-growing, big, very dynamic oxygenation trees, whatever. You filled it with all these poplar trees and it looks beautiful, but you've taken care of the earth but not people. So what permaculture does is say, well, maybe we should plant fruit trees to take care of people. And not just fruit trees, how about, how about trees for lumber? And how about trees 
for, uh, you know, that take care of animals. For example, there's a kind of horse chestnut that many kinds of, of uh, uh, cattle and, uh, and livestock could live off of. They produce enough of these horse chestnuts to pretty much live off of those. Uh, and they're growing from trees, for heaven's sake. Their food is above them, falling onto them. And if you gather as they fall, because they're going to fall faster than the animals can eat them anyway, and you gather them up and save them through the winter, you can feed animals with with that. Now, that is just one of millions of examples of how function um, works. Okay, so, so we got the care of the earth, care of people, which it must do, and then finally, return of surplus or fair share, depending on how you word that. Let's talk about the return of surplus. If you've heard of the idea of a closed loop system, it's the idea that everything within an, we'll just say area for now, everything within a farm, let's just say, um, is, it goes back into the farm. So the manure from the cows goes out to the fields where the wheat is growing for the people, or or the uh, or maybe it's grown for the chickens who provide eggs for the people, and then the people are are planting fruit trees and all this stuff, both to provide for themselves as well as the chickens, as, as well as some of the cattle and so forth. And you know they've got this, and and the garbage is such that it, it's able to go into a mulch bin, which can be used to fertilize the trees. And basically, what it comes down to is the most ideal version of this is that nothing needs to go out and nothing needs to come in. Now, it's, it's never going to work entirely closed loop like that. The fact is, there's just not enough room for everybody to produce their own milk, cheese, uh, you know, fruit, uh, grains, and, and all that stuff. But you can provide some, and your neighbor can provide some more, and your other neighbor can provide something different, and you can have a little bit of neighborhood exchange of different goods and so forth. And so the idea is to kind of work toward this community that is able to be fully self-sustaining over the long term. And as the society grows, the earth is better and better cared for because of this ecosystem that you built. That's the idea of permaculture. And there are oh, hundreds of different methods people use. And please don't confuse the methods with the with permaculture design itself. For example, you may talk, hear of people talking about hugel culture or wood-base culture uh, or wood-base gardening. Okay, wood-base gardening is this idea of putting wood underground, either burying it in a hill, which would be a hugel hill or a wood-base hill, or maybe burying it into a ditch or a gully and then planting stuff on top of this buried wood. Okay, and over time, the wood breaks down, uh, you know, the, uh, the fungal hyphae do their magic on the wood and create this incredible um, healthy soil out of it all and so forth. This is a method, and it's a very good one, especially if you're in an area where that works well. 
but Hugel culture itself is not permaculture. So don't, you know, say, here's my permaculture over here. See, that's a Hugel hill, and that's my permaculture. That's not what it, we're talking about. Permaculture design is the design science itself. So would you say, that's my design science over there? That's kind of a weird thing to say, right? If you're taking the paradigm of permaculture design, everything around you can be de designed in a permaculture way. In fact, I would go so far, and I've heard others say, that if something fits the three ethics, this cares for the earth, this cares for people, and this helps return surplus back into the system or beyond the system into, into other systems to expand them. Okay, if, if those three are the case, then it is absolutely a permaculture design. Whether it's regarding business, whether it's regarding politics, government, uh, art, music, whatever, if it fits those three. And that doesn't mean just, does it not harm the earth? Does it not harm humans? And does it not, you know, avoid returning? So you know what I'm saying? That just having a pebble floating in space is not necessarily permaculture design simply because it doesn't hurt the earth and it doesn't hurt people and it, and it doesn't, you know, keep... Um, or, you know, it, it only cycles within itself because it's a rock sitting in space. That is not permaculture design because it is not benefiting any of them, okay? It's just there. Permaculture design is where it's care for the earth, care for people, and a return of surplus, meaning a growing and nourishing and an expansion of the system. A well-designed permaculture system, let's just say somebody's farm, they've got a, a quarter-acre farm, and that sounds funny to many of you. It's a, you might say, how can you do a farm on quarter-acre? Well, with permaculture, that's how you do it best. So let's just say you've got a quarter-acre farm, okay? It is going to feed far more than just your quarter-acre and, and yourself. It's going to start benefiting your neighbors. They're going to start having better fruit in their garden and they're going to have better vegetables and so forth because their pollination will increase because you've invited all the bees and birds into the area and they're going to have new uh, wildflowers showing up in their gardens and yards and so forth and everything will just become more fruitful. That's what happens when you've got a well-designed permaculture system. So that is kind of the power of permaculture design. And I encourage you, if you've not heard of this before, to study more about it. And don't get bogged down in the methodology, okay? People are going to, you're going to find a lot of methods, but don't get bogged down in that. If you want to try particular methods, that's great. If it doesn't work for you, it's because it's not the right area for that. That is one of the things that I find unique about permaculture design, where it may be, very beneficial to dig a bunch of swales or ditches that are, you know, right on line with a contour, let's say 59,023 feet, and you've just got this line that runs along that contour line, and uh, that would be called a swale. In some areas, that is very useful, that is very, um, that 
could be very beneficial to your system. In other areas, it's just not going to be. And so it's not about the method. It's about thinking based on where you are, what you've got, what your limitations are, what your advantages are. Take the, uh, the uh, things that you have a plethora of and find a way to use those to feed the systems that struggle within your area. You're going to look at your climate. You're going to look at your zone. You're going to look at your elevation, your weather patterns, you know, temperatures in the springs, temperatures in the fall, summer, winter. You're going to plant based on where you are. It's, it's a way of thinking about the world around you. Because a forest is doing this automatically all the time. It just does it. And it does it because I could go plant an apple tree in the mountains and a good chance if I came back next year, it'd be dead. I could plant a cherry tree in the mountains, come back a year later, it'd probably be dead. Now, if I nourished it for a few years and really took care of it, it would probably do just fine as long as it was one that could withstand the cold, bitter, winter that we have here, as long as it's a particular variety that would work for that. It, it could work. And you could, you know, have a cherry tree growing in the mountains, whatever. But um, it's not going to do it automatically because it's not necessarily the best suited for the area. So the idea is you find things that are best suited to your area and plant those, but not just because they're suited to your area, but rather because they provide food for you. They provide some kind of fodder for you, meaning some kind of useful uh, utility for you or your animals or whatever. And you find a way that works for you. Find a way that works in your system. And it's going to take some trial and error. And then you're going to do more of that kind of thing. What this does, if everybody were to practice permaculture design, what you would find is the earth covered with lush, glorious, beautiful, incredibly useful foliage, animals, uh, uh, structures, buildings. It, it would be gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it would be incredibly useful. That's another principle within agriculture is the stacking of functions. So a function is, for example, food is a function. If this food, and there's, you could take it even deeper and say different f types of foods have different functions for the body and so forth. But let's just, let's just take food as a function. Okay, you eat this food. Okay, therefore there's one function. You eat this. The second function is, wow, this provides shade. Okay, great. It also provides, this would be a third function, leaves that make great mulch for compost, which will feed your garden or whatever. That's a, a fourth function. A fifth function might be it provides shelter for some chickens that you have in rainstorm and snow and so forth, so that they have somewhere to go that's a little bit drier. It also provides shade for human beings or for animals or anything. It also maybe prevents 
because of its intense shade, you know, if I were to plant that tree in an area that grows a lot of foliage that I don't want in that area, and that foliage is a particular, say, a thorn or something that is well suited to that area because of its intense sun, I plant the tree there, it shades out that plant, and that plant, that foliage, unwanted foliage, dies out. There's another function. You see what I mean? We're stacking function upon function upon function. And the more you do this, the more your system does what you need it to on so many levels. And what you find is that when you've got three different plants in one small area, each of which fulfilling five or six functions, let's just say, you'll find that the combination of these two functions of the two plants are creating this third or fourth function between them. And those functions create new functions between the other plants. See what I'm saying? Now, you're not going to like every function of a plant because it may be that you want grass under your apple tree and it keeps shading it so much that your grass dies. Well, that is a function of an apple tree. Is It can shade enough to make the grass wimpy if not dead entirely. Now, there are other plants, such as some types of strawberries and so forth, that do great in the shade. And so let's put those there. You see where I'm going with this? Maybe some ferns. Certain kinds of ferns are edible, can provide food. They will thrive well in the shade. They will cover the soil, making it so that when water hits the soil, rain or sprinkler or whatever, it will stay on the soil longer because the sun's not hitting the soil directly. You see where I'm going with this? This way of thinking about how the uh, your your yard, your house, your home, the you know even the indoors and so forth, the way you think about it can you if you were to take on a permaculture design approach of that paradigm of permaculture design, I think you'd find your surroundings much different. Not just because of how they are now and because of the functions that you'll find in them as they are now, but because you will redesign them. And you'll say, you know what? If if we were to plant these trees that we were thinking of getting, instead of putting them as lollipop trees in our front yard, if we put them in the backyard where this is happening and where this is taking place, then we could have more fruit from them and more function in this way because of this. You're thinking in terms of every element within the system being of some type of use, some type of benefit to the rest of the system, including yourself as a person. Because if you find a particular flower just beautiful, just it, it just brightens your day to see it, then you're going to want a lot of that around because that is a function brightening your day, making you feel happy when you see it, making you feel good. That is a function. It's a very powerful one. Think of if every time you step outside, you just take this breath of fresh air, this wonderful smells, and you see all these beautiful flowers. I mean, talk about stress relief. Talk about, you know, a way of helping you to get outside more. You're going to want to exercise in your yard because you just want to be out there more. You know, among other things, there's all kinds of things you can do to redesign in a permaculture sort of way. But um, anyway, the point is, 
study permaculture, I find it fascinating to no end. And I find it, it has so many different branches and ways of looking at the world around you. Even some of those pesky weeds can be useful as either food or medicine or, or you know, ground cover, whatever, when you rethink how your whole system operates. It just, it just changes your whole way of seeing the world around you. And you'll look around and, and everywhere you go, every spot of ground, you, you will say to yourself, if you allow yourself, because, you know, sometimes you have to turn, put down those glasses because it, you see it everywhere, but you can see any patch of land and say, I know how I can make that better. I know how I could do more good for humanity and, and the earth in general just by doing X in this little spot. And it may even be a spot that's just a neglected patch of ground between two dirt roads. That is the power, or one of the many powers, of a permaculture design paradigm. I, I highly recommend you study this stuff deeper. If you want to see a simple example of how this may go, just Google greening the desert. That's greening, as in the color, greening the desert. And it will bring up, Jeff Lawton was the author of that. Jeff is spelled with a G, so G-E-O-F, or G-E-O-F-F, I can't remember. Um, Jeff Lawton takes this, it's a three and a half, four minute video talking about the power of permaculture design. Um, in in practice, and this is talking specifically about this area near the Dead Sea that is just desert. I mean, this looks like the Gobi Desert out there, and it's right next to the Red Sea, which is salted to nothing, you know, to no end, no life out there, and how they're able to start bringing things back using this stuff, and how they could use that to re-green the entire world, really just a quick little thing. Um, I'll say one more thing about permaculture, and that is that if you're just not into gardening, you know, or if you're into something, you know, if you, if it doesn't seem to match your uh, personality or interests and so forth, it's because you haven't looked into it deep enough. Um, this applies very much to, to machines and so forth. There's a great deal about... Um, about efficiency in, in machinery and about um, how we build our homes and how we structure our homes for the most efficiency, for the most, you know, whatever. And people jump straight to solar or wind power and so forth. And there's actually dozens of other kinds of, of ways of meeting those needs just by using a permaculture design uh, mindset to do that. So if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Chaz Hathaway. That is what I'm using as the primary source of, of support for this podcast. That is uh, right now anyway, or uh, in these early stages, how you can support the program and encourage content, the continuation of these learning of different paradigms because paradigms are so cool. 
you guys. We have lived all our lives under a paradigm or two or five or whatever that we weren't even aware we were aware of. Or, or sorry, that we weren't even aware that we were operating under. Okay? And the moment you gain an additional paradigm, unless you just outright reject it and say that's just not true, it's all based on, on false information or whatever, okay, I get that. And so you reject many uh, paradigms. But if you pick up a paradigm and you see, yeah, there does seem to be some truth to this, and then look deeper into it, what you'll find is it reshapes the way you see the world. It really is like putting on a different pair of glasses and seeing the world with a different coloration, a different perspective. It's, and even more than just rose-colored versus green-colored or whatever, it's almost more like, um, you remember the show or the movie National Treasure where they've got those Benjamin Franklin goggles and they're looking through it, through those goggles at the back of the Declaration of Independence and there's this gorgeous, you know, uh, uh, map on the back. And, and then they, and then they go and they discover by flipping, you know, cause there's three colors aligned in these glasses and you push one of those colors up and suddenly whoo, new map, new vision, new way of seeing, and then flip two of those colors. So there's only one or the other new map, new vision, new thing that you can see. And that is the way I see paradigms. Each of the paradigms gives you a new view. Whereas the standard paradigm, which is a blank sheet of paper, which is a powerful paradigm, if you think about it, there's lots you can draw from a, a blank piece of paper, whatever. But there is a way to see it differently. And by seeing it differently, you gain more insight, more information. You can collect more data everywhere you go. Swap your glasses just in the middle of a car ride home as you're looking out at the apartments and, and uh, fields as you pass by. Swap out those glasses. Say, what does the near-death experience, experience paradigm say about this? And then think about that. Swap those glasses out. What is a permaculture design paradigm say about this swap those glasses out and just you know try all your different paradigms and what you'll find is that the world is a really fascinating and dynamic place because you have so many different ways of seeing it it really is you guys it's like seeing the world in different dimensions it's like the world has multiple dimensions that you can only see if you have these paradigms. It really is like that. Not visually, but mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Every different paradigm will affect you differently. And having all these different ways of seeing the world empowers you to be able to better see what you need to see, to better see from another person's eyes and to recognize that our view on the world is not the only view that there is. And that there is much, much more to see. So with that, thank you guys so much for listening.